0: That's trinityschool.org, Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life, transform the world.
1: You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails.
2: Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. It is important to stop reading other people's success stories and really start writing your own. I always tell people to leave with their gifts, that meaning to leave with your passion, your your belief of what you want to do. And don't let your age, friends, family, or co-workers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews I do on Money Making Conversations consist of celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. My next guest is Lindsay Davis. She is a best-selling author of The World is Awake and One Big Heart. In February, Lindsay was tapped to anchor the weekend broadcast of ABC News World tonight. And she, is all, all, and she also anchors ABC News Lifetime, Live Prime, excuse me, the network streaming even news. Cast. She's also correspondent for World News Tonight, Good Morning America, 20, 2020, and Nightline. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation the anchor of ABC's Weekend World News Tonight and ABC News Live Prime, Lindsay Davis.
3: Roshan, thank you so much for having me
2: on. I try to get it all in. I, I try to get it all yeah, in because— you make because, me
3: sound really busy, well, and you know, I am. The, but- <laughs> the, 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 thing, the thing about it,
2: Lindsay— Wear a lot
3: of hats. You
2: know, we, we, the thing about it, I, I've been in this business long enough. To see faces like yours that are not normal. They're normal now, but you know, at one pine in his time in this industry, they weren't normal, especially a female sure. face being normal. And uh, You know, Ed Bradley was our man at one time. Right? Yeah. And then, so as you start ascending, that's why I wanted to make sure people saw the body of your work. And this is only a small body of your work, but it's an important body of your work. You, as a host, as an anchor, get to articulate our stories. And I'm pretty sure in 2020, As an African-American, as a female, and some of the stories that were put out there, how were you able to balance the actual reporting of the news and then the detachment of what you were reporting?
3: Well, you know what? Look, it's always about the facts. And I think that it's also about uh, knowing what you don't know. And so I think that when you don't have a lot of ver- variation, a lot of variety of perspectives and lenses and experiences at the proverbial table, um, then you're missing some of the nuance to the story, right? And some of the, the relevant facts um, get thrown aside. And so um, I don't think that I'm... Uh, coloring it if you will with with anything except that i do come with the, the perspective and the experience of of being a black woman in America and so I think that I may have certain questions that i'm going to ask or that i'm going to lean into based on uh, my own experience um, and I, I think of as you talk about how We haven't had many people who look like me. That was why it was so important on my first night when I uh, assumed the the chair of Weekend World News tonight on Sundays, I had uh, an interview that I did with Carol Simpson, who was the first black woman to anchor Mm -hmm. any network uh, newscast uh, back in the 80s. And, you know, I look forward to the day, my son is seven, and I look forward to when he grows up that we won't still be talking about, well, this was the first or the second, right? Because hopefully the idea and the ideal will be that enough people at that point would, would have ascended to various ranks that it just becomes, oh, another person, right? And, right. and so for my son, I, I really do look forward to where it becomes so commonplace that we're not still counting you know, the first or or the
2: second. You know, it's really interesting, uh, especially entertainment. You know, uh, I remember when Steve Harvey now I, back, way back in 93, when he had his first opportunity, ABC offered him his first sitcom. I remember he came to mm-hmm. Mr. Rashawn. ABC wants me to do a sitcom. I went, you? Because it was just it was just so far, I could not uh, even fathom somebody I knew, black man. He was a comedian, popular comedian, was being offered a, a TV show on ABC. Mm-hmm. It was a pilot at the time. And then I fast forward, and as you're aspiring to these heights of wanting to be on the news, wanting to deliver the news, be a face of the news, a face in media, what was, the, what was that journey like in college and your friends and your peer groups when you telling them this is what you wanted to do?
3: Sure. You know, I think that I've had the luxury or the benefit of having, especially within my own uh, my own home. And so not just my parents, um, but in the extended family as well, where there was an expectation that you could do what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I never felt limited or constrained because of my race or gender, because there was a mindset that If you want to do it, if you want to run for president, run for president. Mm -hmm. You know, no one was really telling me the likelihood of success or how it was going to be so much more difficult or so much harder or no one has done this before or whatever. It was just like, hey, you want to do that? here's some tools. We're going to give you some exposure, some uh, opportunities, and you run with it and you take it as far as you can. And so when I decided when I was in college that I wanted to become a journalist at the time, uh, in particular, a reporter, um, you know, my parents were just like, OK, what do we have to do? What do you have to do? And so <laughs> at the time, you still had to get a college credit for an internship. And, and I had missed that opportunity because I was about to graduate. I was at University of Virginia. So then I, I, I did what I, I've, I've told several Subsequently, that I had my parents pay $50,000 so I could get an internship because I went to NYU for, for grad school to get a master's. You don't need to have a master's to be a journalist. But at the time, I needed to get that extra year in order to get an internship and to get credit for it. Um, and so uh, I, I would say that anything that I, I needed, my parents were there right along with me anticipating that, you know, if I wanted to do this, it could be done. And my friends never batted an eye. I mean, I, I think that there was just this mindset of if you you know work hard and put your mind to it you know you can uh, achieve and so i'm i'm glad that i didn't have um, the naysayers
2: uh, too loudly in my ear. <laughs> but you know they are—they are there. I was just reciting some of my experiences. I remember when I left IBM to pursue a career as a stand-up comedian. Of course, it's totally opposite from the news. People looking—you going to be a comedian? I thought I was to be the next Eddie Murphy or somebody—somebody somebody yeah. great like that. Richard Pryor had it. Nobody could ever be him. He was like the Michael Jordan of comedy. But right, then yes. But you know, but it was, was always—you know—people. Was, didn't stand in my way, but they always went, okay, okay. But then you start seeing little little steps along the way, little crumbs of opportunity that became a reality. And then people started realizing, and you start, and I started realizing, you know, I, I think I can really do this because even though you can dream something, that doesn't mean it's going to come true. So right. as you were starting to go up, the, like you said, you did the intern, you went up to NYU and, and, you know, got the master's. But when did it start really starting to fall, start to fall in place for you, Lindsay?
3: Sure. I mean, you know, I think that there are a lot of baby steps and and milestones along the way. And I was uh, just a a self-starter in a way that I would say, okay, I'm going to by the time I'm 25, I want to be in a top 25 market. Right. By the time I'm 30, I want to be at the network. And I made both of those one, the first goal by the skin of my teeth, because I, I was just about to turn 25 and I made it to Indianapolis, which was the 25th market. Um, but then, you know, a few months shy of my 30th birthday, I made it here to, to ABC News. And I've been here now for uh, about 14 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I would say when I was local news, I was able to make a lot of jumps. So I, I started out in Syracuse. It was market like 81. Then I went to Florida, Michigan. It was market 64. Then I went to Indianapolis, market 25. And so I was able to make a lot of those um, jumps based on you know my own goals that I had set, and I would say once I got to the network, it was a little bit harder to set a milestone or set a goal and, and then achieve it. Because, you know, a lot of the people who make it here are very talented, right? And, right. and in some cases there are some sharp elbows or in some cases they may have better relationships or they may just be better positioned for, you know, opportunity or for growth. And so I, I think that that did become um, a struggle for me kind of finding my way once I got here to the network. But I would say when I was given the opportunity in September 2019 to be one of the moderators at uh, the Democratic debate, that was career changing that that moment. Um, And then I went on to to, uh, moderate another debate again with with David Muir and George Stephanopoulos in February of the following year of 2020. And in both cases, you know, people gave very good feedback and, <laughs> and reviews of, of, of my work um, sitting there at the, as a moderator. And I think then that was the moment where people thought, oh, wow, you know, you can really do this. Now, that was many years <laughs> in, right? Uh, right. It, it's right. the game uh, that, that I finally kind of got that recognition that that I believed that I was capable of, but, you know, was really kind of waiting for the opportunity. Well, you
2: know, it's really interesting. Uh we all in- involved in journeys and we're all involved in trying to reach those dreams. And then but then then it's there's sacrifice, like you mentioned Indianapolis, you mentioned Syracuse. I remember when I left, I, I I immediately got married and then I moved to New York and my wife was a she's still an optometrist. She stayed in Houston. And so so I'm living in New York and then I moved to LA and I lived there and she still was staying in Houston. So there are sacrifices we all make. And in those sacrifices, right. uh, a lot of people might call them selfish, but they're part of the goals. They're part of the path that you gave. And then you say, "Rishon, that was instrumental when you did the the debates. How, yeah. first of all, how did, he, how did the opportunity come to you? And then how did you prepare for that opportunity? Because you knew it was big.
3: Yes. Um, well, I think that in part it was due to the Democratic National Committee because they had set uh, some rules, basically, so that to prevent uh, the moderator panels from uh, not being diverse. They they set uh, some prerequisites, basically where you had to have diversity by gender or by race. And so um, I think because ABC had already decided that they were going to have you know David and George. And that first debate in September that we had for ABC was gonna be at an HBCU. And so I think that there was probably a, a feeling, no one ever told me, I wasn't in the room when the decision was made <laughs> that that I would be, you know, the third moderator, but uh, I would have to imagine that, that both of those played into it. Um, look, I would say that I probably never prepared more for anything in my life <laughs> than I had for that first debate in September of 2019. You know, I, I, I was kept trying to minimize it in my mind so that I wouldn't over-hype myself and, and, and the, let the anxiety uh, run too wild. Um, but I, I, it was September, and so August leading into it, I I remember I'd had a pre-planned vacation and I was on the beach with a big three, two, three ring binders, (laughs) um, just studying and researching and reading and preparing. And um, it was a lot. Uh, But the benefit of it was that by the time uh, that date came in September, I felt prepared. And I think that that preparation gave me confidence. That in prayer, I got to say, right? But Um, but I felt that I was ready on that day and leading up to it, I I wasn't so sure, but I think that there's, you know, the, the preparation was key and, you know, I, I couldn't express to anyone, you know, for whatever kind of position you have, right. No, No matter what kind of field you're entering into, I think that there's nothing that beats feeling like you're ready. I know it's,
2: it's, uh, and even when you're ready, there's that fear that you're not ready. Yeah, sure. And, sure. and so, and, and as you go along and you start building this brand and let, let, let me step back and just talk about News in general, because I'm kind of confused as to what is news and what is commentary, you know, and like what I think this is my perception. What I think what I see on Fox is is, is commentary or and I want you to educate me, too. And it's, I, I think sure. what, what I see you do, what I see, you know, the, the Lester Holtz and the David Mears of the world, you're doing news to me. What I see a lot of times on on CNN and what I see on uh, Fox is a lot of commentary. Am I wrong in saying that? Or it's a blend of news and commentary?
3: You know, I would say wherever you're hearing a lot of opinions, then that's more editorialized, right? That Mm -hmm. is more commentary. And so that's, I guess, up to the viewers to decide, you know, how they want to hear their news presented. Do they want to just get the facts, ma'am, so to speak? Or do you want to hear more of what you already think you know for that to be reinforced by the programming that you watch? Um, and, you know, uh, Fox News, for example, has great ratings. And so I think that in a lot of cases, people do want to hear and get their ideas seconded and get support for, you know, certain arguments um, that they believe are, are true. And they may be true. You know, uh, that, that's, again, up, up to the viewers to, to really decide. But, you know, my understanding and, and what I learned in journalism school was always about just presenting what cannot be debated really, right? And so certain facts of, let's say, a house fire um, cannot be distorted or changed based on your opinion. You know, it was either a three-alarm fire or it was not. It it either went up in flames at 12 o'clock on Brady Avenue or it did not. And so there are certain um, uh, styles, I guess, that that some of the networks take, um, especially the cable news outlets take. But um, but for us, it is very much just what the facts, the, the facts, facts of, of the facts. whatever it is that we're presenting.
2: Now, I mentioned two of your children's books at the top of your intro. And now you have a third one that came out, Stay This Way Forever, came out in February of this year. How how did that develop? How did you, duh, 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 you know, I, I'm going to just say that you're hard charging uh, news, the, the facts, <laughs> ma'am, just the facts, ma'am to a children's, a popular, best-selling author in the children's genre. How did that come about?
3: So I, again, I have a son who's seven, and um, when I was reading books to him early on, I was thinking, boy, I could do this. And over time, that could became should. I should do this because I was having a hard time finding uh, books that had characters who look like him. And, And I felt that that was really important. And while in general terms, you know, the news industry is very different from, you know, authoring children's books. At the heart, at my center, I consider myself to be a storyteller. And so um, I felt like it wouldn't be that much of a stretch for me to kind of let my creative juices flow and talk about the good news, really, and uplifting, because quite often what I do with news, which was also kind of part and parcel to this, because my son would want to see mommy doing the news. And I felt like, you know, quite often the subject matter what we're talking about is just too much for, um, a young person like he is at this, at this young age. And so writing books, I felt was something that I could just share with him 100% without any kind of filter or concern about the messaging that was being, you know, instilled in him, but I could use it as a tool to inspire him. And so, um, initially I really focused on the mirror aspect. You right. know, There was an essay a while ago that talked about how you need Mirrors, windows and sliding glass doors in all children's books, the idea of mirrors so kids can see themselves reflected in the pages of a book's windows so they can perhaps peer into a world that's unfamiliar to their own. And if that sliding glass door is to really be effective, it can serve as a way to transport them into an unfamiliar world. So with the first book, it was really a matter of, okay, let me provide more mirrors for my son. But ultimately, it really became about, and this was before George and Floyd the first book and the is, summer protests and the was so-called it, racial reckoning. Lizzie, was that I, the
2: uh, was that the the one big heart or the world is awake? Which one was was the first one?
3: The first one was the world is awake.
2: Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. The
3: second one was one big heart, and mm-hmm. that was where I really talked about the need for, or I, I felt the need for windows in the book, so that kids would be able to. be exposed to kids who don't look like them, because I think quite often parents look at books that have black black and brown characters and they think, oh, they're just for black and brown children. That couldn't be further from the truth, really, because it does no benefit to your child if they're only seeing mirrors all around them. Right. And they only see their own reflection in their books and in their toys and in their neighborhood and their church and their place of worship or you know school or place of worship. And so I felt like parents can start with books and with toys that they're looking to expose themselves or expose their children to more diverse people. And this was something that you heard, especially during the summer and the so called racial reckoning, where parents were saying, you know, what kind of conversations can I have? How can I raise more empathetic children? Right. And I think you can start by giving them a book that has a character who doesn't look like them. Right. Mm -hmm. And My son has such a diverse book collection that he never talks about the race of of the characters who are in the books. And I I would venture to say that most kids won't. You know, parents will often say like, oh, kids don't see color. Kids do absolutely see do see color. They just don't assign a value to to color. You know, it's adults who do that. Um, But I think that early on, if they're all uh, used to and accustomed to seeing a variety of shades and hair colors and features in their books, they're, they're not going to point out it as being so foreign and unusual because they're used to being exposed to it. So that's now what I, I kind of shifted from, in addition to focusing on the mirror, I, I've found additional value in the window as well.
2: Now, the Stay Away Forever, that, that's the third book, Stay This Way yes. Forever. What is that? What, what, what line of communication are you trying to get out through that book?
3: Yeah, so... So stay this way forever is really any parent I think will relate um, who's ever thought, boy, I wish I could just freeze this moment in time and press the pause button and, you know, (laughs) savor these moments Mm. that, you know, are fleeting. Right. That are going to leave the the playground of childhood and. one thing that I would say there, you know, half the things that, you know, your kids are going to outgrow. But I would also venture to say there are a lot of qualities that you hope that they bring with them into adulthood. So, you know, my son's curiosity or his creativity and his joy, you know, all the nights that he says, tells me his plans for the next day. And sometimes he'll say tomorrow is going to be the best day ever. And I, I hope that he keeps that with him into adulthood where he's excited about the possibilities of of tomorrow. But this was really kind of um, a way of journaling all the different moments because you never know when it's going to be the last time that a child, you know, falls asleep in your lap or reaches for your hand to hold uh, or the pitter patter of feet before they, you know, jump in bed with you in the morning. And so this was kind of uh, paying tribute to all the different stages of childhood. And the theme that has kind of been consistent through my books is the idea of love. The first book is basically know that you're loved by God. The second one is love each other, you know, love your neighbor. And this one is know you're loved by your parents, or your grandparents. And I hope that kids will read it and not only know that they're loved, but just how much they're cherished and adored. And and especially for the cute little, little things that they do at these various stages of childhood.
2: I, my daughter, she's 23 now. And I always remember, I always tell her my favorite moment, one years old when she was just laying on my chest. She hadn't yet had the ability to push off. She just fell asleep, so I know exactly. And, and yes. listen, as you go through that moment, it just takes me back to a place where, you know, I. I I'm glad my daughter's grown, but it's always yes. those precious moments of, of being able to experience when trying to sit her up to take pictures, and the spine wasn't strong enough, and you had to yes. put pillows on both sides to get that picture that you want to, to that will stay with you forever. And uh, but I, I wanted to before I get out of here, I wanted to say like you have a lot of rhymes in your book. Now I grew up with yes. the function, function. What's your Junk convulsion. Yes. So what are, are these rhymes and that's, that that little flavor there that you that we can go read out loud your little rhymes in the book, we're gonna we one day function, 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 for <laughs> sure. Come on now, come on, let's What we got here these these rhymes? Are you rapping or, I love it, I love it. So I, growing up, the books that I
3: read, you know, Shell Silverstein and Doctor Seuss, they were rhyming books. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to Green stay kind of in that, hey, that genre.
2: Mm-hmm. Now hmm I, I love it. I, I, my whole thing. I just wanted to give my audience a look at you. You're you're a special talent. Let's let's put it that way. And then and and how did you get there? I want I'm glad you are willing to share a part of that story. How you get there? Because so many people just see the end results, and and that sure. end results doesn't really tell the journey. And like I said, I have a journey. And uh, Stephen A. Smith has a journey. Steve Harvest has a journey. So many people, and like Nick Cannon has a journey. It's a great job you did on Soul of a Nation with that interview with him. And that and I love seeing you. And I want to see more interviews out of you great and pulling out information and very uncomfortable information and maintaining a very comfortable environment. When you get in those situations, telling my audience as we close out this interview, what are you trying to accomplish the most when you're doing sit-down one-on-one interviews?
3: You know, I'm a very curious person by nature. And so anybody can go and Google somebody and kind of see a bio or some statements they've made, but I really want to know what was beyond that. You know, what motivates you? What caused you to say that? What caused you to feel that way? Help us to understand and explain, you know, beyond just the the superficial surface stuff that we see. So I really want to engage. I want to have in-depth conversation um, I, I always say in my personal life, I never know what questions are appropriate or not, because in, in my professional work life, I'm able to kind of delve in and ask whatever. Um, but I, I love having that kind of uh, interaction and, and engagement with, with someone just to, to help us as humans yes. uh, just get to understand why people think or feel or say the things that that we do. I think that it's a benefit to us all when we hear, you know, the diverse um, perspectives that are out there.
2: Well, I want to thank you, Lindsay, for coming on my show, Money Making Conversation, and sharing your story. And again, I the book, uh, please tell your people to send me some. Uh, I got a weekly newsletter that goes out to 90,000 people every Thursday at 9 a.m. Okay. And I got a little popular social media following, over a million. I'd love to post uh, your book and your banners just to additionally put out the brand of you because you are a great brand and your brand that a lot of young ladies like my daughter
4: look up to. Okay.
3: Thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate you talking with me.
2: Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald, host of MoneyMakingConversations.com. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is Mark Lennon. After Mark was inspired by a video featuring Steve Harvey, he decided to follow his passion and started baking. He took that passion and started his business, Brother Bakes. Brother Bakes is an online bakery based out of Houston, Texas. He specializes in cakes in a jar that can be shipped all over the country.
1: I I just want to say to people, go for it. You know, I talk to people all the time and they're always talking about how you did it. I just went for it. Everybody has a dream. You're currently not doing your dream. So why not give it a try? If it works out, great. I mean, if it doesn't, then you're still not living your dream. But if it does happen, hey man, it changes your life.
2: The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit.
6: Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald.
2: My next guest... On money making conversation is Denise Woodard. She is the founder and CEO of Partake, a line of nationally distributed allergy-friendly snacks inspired by her daughter's experience with food allergies. Launched in 2017, Partake products, which includes cookies and baking mix, can be found in more than 6,000 retailers nationwide, including Target, Sprouts, Whole Food Markets. We'll be in the, we will be discussing her growing business and also order her Partake five in one baking mix. By the way, you know because I love to cook. Y'all don't know my history about cooking and desserts. Always on my Facebook. You can get fat watching my timeline. Please welcome to Money Making compensation. I'm going to call up my good friend. She's out of New Jersey, Denise Woodard. How are you doing?
6: Great. Good morning. How are you?
2: Awesome. 2017. I was just gonna just go and be real about this. You launched in 2017. Here we are. We had a pandemic year in 2020. We're in 2021 and you and more than 6,000 retailers. Come on now. That's uh, that's a crazy number in a good way. Talk to tell us about how how can you launch in 2017 and then be in six thousand retailers, but roughly less than four years.
6: Baby steps. We started in August of 2017 with three flavors of cookies. Um, Our business was self-funded, so I was dipping into my family savings account and it was self-distributed, which meant I was selling cookies out of my car to natural food stores in New York and New Jersey. And I did that for nearly a year, and it was the most valuable time um, I spent in the company, I think, because it allowed me to meet our customers, to understand who our consumer was, who they weren't, what they liked about the product, what they didn't, so that we could listen and we could make changes. And then in the summer of 2018, a year later, we launched a region of Whole Foods and we launched Wegmans. And that was our next baby step, you know, go into these 80 stores, Prove ourselves, understand what's different about this than in the independent New York market. And we did that for nearly a year. And then in the summer of 2019, we raised a million dollar seed round of funding that was led by Marcy Venture Partners, of which Jay Z is a co founder. That really gave us the capital we needed to begin to scale the business a bit more, to begin to hire. Um, And then 2020, we knew it was going to be a big year, um, but in all the ways that it surprised us, it also surprised our business. And we started the year in about 350 stores, and now you can find us in about 6,000 stores. We closed the $5 million Series A at the end of 2020, have lots of new products coming out that are not just cookies, and so really excited about what we're building here.
2: Wow, you you just said that so smooth, Denise. You just smooth. You're just a smooth operator. You just rattle all that information out and just hurt my head. The success, is <laughs> the rapid rate of success. When you say, because a lot of people, you know, they they try to get in these stores like Whole Foods and Targets and things like that. They they are, it is met with some success. But when you say you listen to the customer, was it tied to the packaging or you, some of the cookies you thought were your favorites? They didn't like them because well, you, you was on the ground. Like I said, you hands on. And talk to us about that process, because you said you had a 84, 80 stores initially, and then that was like a test. They were either going to test you online or they're going to test you in a limited store distribution. Tell us about that process and how nerve wracking that was.
6: So in talking to the customers on the ground, I thought because I started the company as a food allergy mom, that that's who our primary consumer would be. And I realized very quickly that was actually the customer who wouldn't touch our product with a 10-foot pole because they didn't know us. They didn't trust us. We hadn't built any credibility with them. And so they were like, oh, we love the idea. However, my allergist hasn't told me about this. I haven't seen it in my Facebook mom group for people with food allergies. So um, not going to try it. But there were thankfully much broader consumer groups, people who wanted to support our women or minority-owned business, people who are exploring a plant-based or gluten-free diet for other reasons, um, moms whose kids didn't have allergies but needed a school-safe snack to take to school to share with other kids. And so that's how we got that information. And that's the type of information that we learned. Got lots of feedback on the packaging. Um, you know, as a mom, I thought the idea of trying to sneak fruits and vegetables in would be really interesting. We realized people just want cookies. They don't, <laughs> they want under- ingredients they can understand, but they didn't like the idea of me trying to sneak uh, carrots and beets into their cookies. And so we took all of that data, updated our packaging, updated our formulas, and updated our marketing strategy to reflect that. And then to go into Whole Foods and Wegmans, we specifically picked retailers that would allow us to do demos because we had done that in the New York market. And we knew that when people tried the product, when they heard the story, they converted to customers and they told their friends about it. And to get into Whole Foods and Wegmans, It was a lot of no's. For our Whole Foods relationship, I cold emailed or LinkedIn messaged every single person on LinkedIn I could find that had Whole Foods category manager in their job title. And thankfully, a gentleman out of Boulder, Colorado took pity on me and, and pointed me in the direction of the right person. And that's how our relationship with Whole Foods started. Oh,
2: that's f- – so I always tell people about LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I always tell people, if you don't have a website, have a LinkedIn account. It is your version of a website. Plus, you can create relationships, and plus, you can message people depending on the premium level of your account. You know, it gives you a limited amount of messaging, you can message people who will, who will, who will friend you or, 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 or want you to follow you or follow you. Then you can friend message them all the time, but you can go to a certain level, you can buy, and it gives you a limited amount of premium – a request that you can direct message these individuals so with your success you know you, you you i love when you say you try to sneak veggies into these uh these into these cookies you try to be slick and i see these commercials where they try to kids are smart and their parents are also know that i have a daughter she's grown now but i can remember giving my daughter that that, that the, the, the green the green baby food that they always spit up you know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you put a little applesauce on top of it. They're going to spit that right back out. So what was your whole process? I know. And when, can I ask, what was the allergy that your daughter was uh, tied to that really inspired this uh, this this line of uh, baking and uh, cookie, so, cookie, uh, cookies, cookie samples?
6: Sure. So it was actually the combination of allergies that she has. So she's allergic to eggs, tree nuts, corn and bananas. And so it made it really hard because often like if you don't put egg in something, you mash up a banana to be the substitute. Um, if you don't eat corn, if we don't eat a lot of gluten in our house, and oftentimes they use corn flour as the substitute. And so it was a combination of allergies that she had that made it so hard for me to find things that tasted good, that I felt good about nutritionally.
2: Wow. So with that being said, you you go through, you're in 6,000 stores now and you say you have more product coming out. We've talked about the the, the, the the funding rounds. Now, let's go back to that a little bit because a lot of people do ask me that question because what exactly does that presentation look like? Is it a the one-sheeter? Is it 10 pages? Is it Did you hire somebody to help you put it together? Or you just sat down with your PowerPoint and did it on your own? How does that work out?
6: Well, I just sat down with my PowerPoint and did it on my own. It was important to me that we put every dollar back into the business. And so the deck we have, I still sat down at my computer and did my PowerPoint because I figure any investor that wants to partner with us wants us to be investing in the business, not investing in pretty graphic designs to try to... Try to get money, um, and so that's how we did the presentation. It was about ten pages, and it was really just me and Google trying to figure out what a traditional pitch deck looked like. You know, what's the problem you're addressing? What's the market opportunity? Um, who are your competitors? What makes you better than the competitors? But I think the most important thing is trying to get either a warm intro or get time with those investors. Cause it's really when you sit down as the founder and share why you're doing what you're doing, what inspires you, what your mission is behind the company that I think really gets investors to buy in at the earliest of state at the earliest stages of the business, not, you know, not information on a piece of paper. Right. Wow.
2: But you're in the money-making business. So now you know, the, the great thing about it is your daughter, inspired this, but you're in the money-making business. You're in the cookie-making business. So these cookies, talk up, tell us about the cookies. And then we're going to talk about the five and one mix that I ordered online, which by the way, was a really good experience. And I am just telling everybody went online and then they have, they give you an option of a 15% discount. If you put in your, your email and your telephone number information, you can get a 15% discount on your purchase. I I opted not to do that. Uh, So I went on and just bought one package. I think it was $23 and something for, uh, I think it said three. And I, and I, experienced that. And it was, and then a receipt came to me afterwards. And then another email came say, Hey, you forgot to buy cookies. And so it was really, <laughs> <laughs> so it really was a fun experience. And also uh, more importantly, a professional experience. And I think that's really important because I was not, um, you know, you, you, you go online and sometimes it can be frustrating, especially for new businesses. They think they got the Shopify or the shopping cart set up correctly, and it's not. But your your shopping cart was fun. What, what was the approach and what was the mindset behind that shopping cart design? Because again, after I made my purchase, it came back and said, hey, you forgot to buy cookies. And I thought that was cute. And I said, well, I wasn't thinking about buying cookies, but now that you think about it, I went back and looked at your cookies. So it did drive me back to your website, even though all I wanted was, the five-in-one uh, baking mix. Talk, talk to us about that.
6: Sure. So when we first launched, we launched our website on Squarespace and it was a, a much simpler website. But similarly, I think it's really important to get feedback um, from people who are your potential customers, from other brands that have had success, from other brands that might not have had success and wish they would have done things differently. So I'm a big fan of kind of sharing where we are and asking for feedback on on what can make things better. We moved our website over to Shopify when we started to focus more heavily on e-commerce in late 2019. Um, And very similarly, feedback, 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 but also now we have the capital to be able to invest in data to understand, you know, what points, what pages on our website are customers spending more time on? What products are they often buying together? How can we then tell them, you know, they forgot something or offer or somebody who doesn't make a purchase, you know, offer some incentive to come back and make a purchase. And then how do we keep sharing content that's relevant, that's engaging so that the customers that do sign up with their email or phone number are interested and want to hear from us and that it's not just sales tactics that we're actually providing a value to our customers.
2: Well, you, I, I, I had fun with it. In fact, like I told you, uh, in my previous conversation that we were discussing, I went back and looked at the cookies, and I'm a big Girl Scout cookie nut. So, so I was like, the boxes were cute, and like I said, I was just not interested in buying because I went on it for the five and one. Now, the five and one, I found rather interesting. I have to ask you, are you, a, are you, a, are you, a, are you? A, a chef or your pastry chef, or your chef with uh, the school, or your, uh, how did, what did your skill level come from to get into this business?
6: Well, I will say that $39 a month for the LinkedIn premium subscription is the best money I've spent because I failed horribly when I got into the kitchen and tried to develop the cookies. But thankfully, I was able to find a product developer, food scientist who had experience in allergy friendly um, products, who was willing to take a look and work with us. And we still work with her to this day. Um, I think uh, my background is more in the consumer packaged goods space. So I spent nearly a decade at Coca-Cola prior to starting Partake. And most recently in my time there, I was able to uh, lead sales for a segment of their venture and, in, venturing and emerging brands division. So brands that Coke had identified to invest in or acquire I was leading sales and helping integrate those brands into the Coca-Cola system. And so my background really leans much more heavily on the sales and marketing side of consumer packaged goods. Um, And then I'm a food allergy mom. So like our five-in-one baking mix came to life because of a problem my family was facing during, quarantine, our my daughter's favorite baking mix that we use to make all of her pancakes and waffles got discontinued. And I called our product developer frantically and was like, what do I do? There's literally nothing she can safely eat. And she whipped up something that we thought was just so wonderful that we needed to share it with our customers too. And that's how our baking mix, make, baking mix line came to be.
2: Okay. Oh, again, you're so smooth. You just say all these things so quickly and so articulately, Art- articulated so fantastic. So five in one mix, Okay. <laughs> Is 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 cake? Is muffins? What what waffles? And there was two other yep. things. What were the
6: pancakes and banana bread? Can- pancakes and banana bread are um, round out the five.
2: Okay, cool. Now you said your daughter's allergic to bananas, right?
6: Yes, yeah, so she cannot do banana bread. So we've been experimenting with different ways to just turn that into like a more of a coffee cake option.
2: Okay, cool. So I, I when I get the when I get the the five and one mix, okay. Off air, you say, Rashawn, you got to make this. What are your favorites to make out of the five-in-one mix?
6: Muffins. I woke up this morning at 5.30 because my daughter let me know that she would love to, she wanted to have fresh baked muffins for breakfast this morning. So easy. The pancakes and waffles, we do a lot um, because those are just add water. And even with the complicated recipes of muffins, it's just pantry staples or, or kitchen staples like butter. Um, sugar and water that you're adding to it. So they're all, you know, you can whip them up in five minutes or less, which is really nice. And they all have ingredients that you can feel really good about. And they can be shared really easily, no matter who's coming over for breakfast or brunch, because they're free of the top eight allergens. They're gluten-free, they're vegan, they're non-GMO, they're kosher. And so they meet most people's kind of dietary uh, restrictions.
2: Now, I'm a, I am love it. Well, I, I always see recipes that say add water. I always want to add my 2% milk. Would that change the recipe if I added 2% milk instead of water?
6: we have one of our investors at oat milk and he had very good results so i okay. think that you're safe i will say i haven't tried it i'm gonna put that disclaimer out there i've just add water but i know that oat milk works i'm assuming that two percent milk i will
2: try that works. you know we, we're, we're friends now so i'll let you know how it goes because I, I yes I, I love adding that extra little flavor because water is just water you know milk give you a little texture a little flavor and stuff like that. and I, i'm not allergic to milk so i enjoy milk on everything that i cook with so i'm gonna add a little milk to mine and muffins so so now that now now you're just listening to me so i'm not allergic to anything right now other uh, so that i know of so i haven't run across something that's just sent me sent me south yet but i will tell you so if i take your muffins and i can add some pecans in there right can i you add could. i can add blueberries
6: We do. I typically do blueberries or I'll add chocolate chips. You can add whatever your heart desires. Oh,
2: my goodness. I'm tasting blueberry muffins are the bomb. Okay, so, so, okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna this, uh, this week. I'm going to take some pictures. I'm going to do your mix. Whenever I get it, it should be. Well, if it comes this week, because I ordered it yesterday.
6: It should come this week.
2: Okay, so when it comes, I'm going to immediately, I'm going to do some blueberries. I'm going to do the milk thing. Just so you have fun with it. I'm not trying. I'm not no I'm not no food doctor, you know, where I just disseminate things and go, well, this does not work. Ta-da. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. I like to have fun. And so I have a TV show that I'm launching, in, uh the Atlanta market isn't going to be in 2 million homes. I'd love to be able to introduce your product on there, because I love doing Simple things that can, my whole thing is about, see, I'm not a guy who sits around, I'm like you, my degree is in mathematics. I have not, I'm not a trained pastry chef. I'm not a trained cook or chef. I just have natural gifts. And so, so what what I do is I like to do things real fast. So I would like, instead of going to an apple pie, I go get the cans on the shelf and put that in my apple pie. You know, some people lose their mind over there at the knees. Oh my God, (laughs) he's using canned apples. Oh." Oh, hey, 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 calm down. (laughs) Uh, There are people out there, they own the chef, obviously for a reason, because somebody out there buying, okay? So with your product, I feel that your product is the same way. Some people will look at it and go, well, five and one, you know, that's not, you know, that's not breaking it down. But there's a customer out there that wants to use your product because they don't have time, or they may have never experienced that level of shop, of of, of baking ability. And so that's why I'm really excited about your product. Was that the thought process? I know you were saying, hey, your daughter, the, 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 the batter they was using for your daughter was not available what is really driving you as a business owner are you trying to other than the allergy free you know because you're a black ceo you're female you're an entrepreneur it's a certain degree of passion that's driving you behind all this this whole uh, food industry that you're right now doing very well because you're in six thousand stores nationwide
6: i will say that when i started the company the name partake came from the idea of people with food allergies like my daughter being able to partake But as a woman, as a person of color, as a first-time founder, a first-time, my parents didn't go to graduate from high school, like first-time college generation, first, you know what I mean, (laughs) (laughs) first-generation college graduate, excuse me. I realized that there were a lot more people who needed an opportunity to partake, um, pun intended. And so what our business is really all about is inclusivity and lifting as we climb. And the way that we bring that to life is, you know, as we've grown the business, the thing that's made me the most excited is the impact that we're able to have on underfunded and underestimated and underrepresented groups of people. Um, And so those partnerships have been, we partner with a group called the Food and food equality initiative. Um, It was a... It was. It's a nonprofit that was started by um, Emily Brown, a black woman that's based in Kansas City, and her family was experiencing food insecurities, and they had the double whammy of her children also have food allergies. And they went to their local food pantry, and there was literally only two things her kids could safely eat: tomatoes and potatoes. Um, and food allergies have a much higher incidence in the black and Latino communities. And so, how do we get foods like ours that everyone deserves to eat? How do we get education and? advocacy for these communities. And so we've been able to partner with Emily's group and feed thousands of families through monetary donations, through product donations. Um, And the other uh, cause that we're really, really working to champion is diversity in the food space. I think that far far too long, there have been folks who don't look like us who are making decisions about what we put into our bodies. And so how do we create a more diverse food industry Um, you know companies that startups it seems like we all start in new york or san francisco or austin and giving access to founders from all over giving access to college students to get the entry-level positions whether it be at startups or big cpg companies to help make the decisions and grow into the leadership roles that are going to change our and shape our food economy moving forward and so we launched a fellowship program in 2020 called the Black Futures in Food and Beverage Fellowship. We partnered with five HBCUs. And we selected eight fellows. And we provided an eight-week curriculum of the nuts and bolts of the CPG industry. And then it culminated with an opportunity to either get a full-time internship, a summer internship, or a full-time entry-level job. And I'm really excited for that program to be even bigger this year. They we're partnering with several more schools, hoping to be able to impact more fellows. And so, you know, how do we provide access? How do we leave the door a little bit wider open than it was when we started Partake?
2: Well, Partake has the Black Futures and Food and Beverage Fellowship Program for the active HBCU students. HBCUs in 2020... Uh, became the forefront of a lot of news, a lot of uh, high-profile corporate uh, executives and, and firms decided to donate to HBCUs. What is, when you say the Black Futures and Food and Beverage Fellowship Program, what exactly is that?
6: So we were fortunate enough to be a part of Chobani's incubator program back in 2018. And the founder of Chibani, Hamdi Ulukaya, wanted to make it easier for food startups to bring better food to more people. And he had been on this journey, you know, that took 10 years to build a billion dollar brand. And he was like, what can I do to make y'all's journey a little bit shorter? And so similarly, I'm coming from big CPG and now I'm at a food startup. And And the thing that has remained true across both is, unfortunately, there aren't that many black or brown folks in leadership roles. So how can I provide access, whether it's through education or through social capital, through introductions, through access to executives in the CPG space to help these students get the opportunities and the education that they need to thrive in the food industry? And so for us, that was we opened up an application process. We ran an eight week curriculum where we taught, you know, all the different facets of the food industry in a condensed period of time. Supply chain, food safety, um, e-commerce. Cause I know that when I was in college, I assumed that if you worked for a big food company you could do marketing. I didn't think about all the other aspects that it takes to run a food business. And so we want to give those students that education. And then it culminates with a virtual career day which we hope to be in person this year. And we had attendees from companies like Chibani, from Beyond Meat, from Once Upon a Farm that were there to give the students internships or job offers and to learn more about the students. And so it was really exciting to see how that turned into something actionable. I think often women and people of color are over mentored and not there's not enough action. Like I always go to the simple phrase of send the wire or make the hire. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be action oriented to help these students get jobs.
2: Well, you're fantastic. And uh, I know I've talked a little bit about uh, you know five, your five-in-one baking mix, but we didn't talk about the cookies. So I want to talk about the different cookies. And then I also want to talk about the future products that you have coming out. Let's talk about the cookies that I have not ordered yet, that I will be ordering because I've been reminded politely that I forgot to buy my cookies. So tell us about the cookie line.
6: Well, you might get another email. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. you going to, to come back to me. <laughs> the way that our system is set up. Um, but the cookies, we have eight flavors, um, five crunchy flavors, three soft-baked flavors. Everything's free of the top eight allergens. Everything's gluten-free and vegan and made with less sugar than our competitors in the gluten-free and vegan space made with really simple ingredients that you can understand. And then we have two seasonal, we're actually going to come out with three seasonal varieties this year. So we have a pumpkin spice and then two seasonal um, varieties that come closer to the Christmas holidays. Um, And that was our, our first flagship product. So we had three flavors when we launched. So it's been exciting to see that grow to 10 flavors of cookies.
2: Well, you know, I, I I am a dessert nut. You know, everybody knows I eat my dessert before I eat my meal. If I'm in a restaurant, you you sit down with Denise, you you before when you order your meal, I'm gonna say excuse me, I need the dessert menu. That's how much of a dessert <laughs> person I am. So so when I'm so I'm excited about these cookies now because I you know I, I like to crumble up my cookies and I like to put some nice ice cream on top and I put a little whipped cream and put a little I put a lot of extra that comes on top of it. So so what do you? Cause are you are you are you are a fan of your cookies? from a standpoint do you what do you do with your cookies you do it with what do you eat your cookies with? Or you just eat them individually
6: i eat them individually in the afternoon for like a pick-me-up with like a coffee or tea uh-huh. i do crumble them on top of ice cream sometimes go. sometimes i make ice cream sandwiches with them um i've used them for a cookie or for a pie crust before like our, our carrot cake or our ginger snack oh stop really right there nice stop right there That's, stop um, right there
2: so I do lots of stuff with them. So you say you just you you crumble them up for a, as a crust. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Which which brand do you use? What brand of cookie do you use as your crust?
6: So we have a ginger snap and we have a carrot cake, and so they make a really nice substitute for like a graham cracker crust. So if you just like um, crumble the cookies up and mix it with like a melted butter, or melted vegan Absolute butter, and you kind of pack it in, you mm-hmm. can create a pie crust.
2: Wow. You you really so you really excited me about a lot like, because because I I do a cheesecake I think that'd be cool to use as my cheesecakes I have a lot of I like I got about eighty different recipes I've in my recipe app and I think uh, using that as because you know I just put that in the mixer and just ground it up and it becomes very fine and now can I put sugar with that and do you put sugar with the crust with the butter or do you just do just the butter and the crust when you grind it up I'm talking about the ginger snaps I use just the butter
6: and the crust I'll send you since we're friendly now I'll send you a recipe. And we actually did one with a cheesecake. So I'll send you the recipe that we use. But I don't typically add extra sugar, um, but you totally could.
2: Yeah, send me that recipe and I do it on my show, okay? Because Perfect. it sounds, let me ask you this, because are you a person, does your recipe include sour cream or is it non-sour cream?
6: It doesn't have sour cream just go. because we try to avoid dairy there where you we go.
2: can. See, me and you, same page. I do not put sour cream in my cheese, in my in my, in my my cheesecakes at all. I don't know why you're going to add all. Plus, you got to add extra sugar to offset the sour. <laughs> so we're on the same page right there. I'm going to stuff it with some apples. I'm going to do you upright. I'm going to make you proud of me when I do my cheesecake your way. So send that recipe to me. It would be great. And in closing, what's what's the future? You're in 6,000 stores. We're talking about worldwide. You're, you're, you're a fantastic spokesperson. Uh, you're incredible incredible mom, incredible young business person. I love the mentorship campaigns that you have out there, especially involving HBCUs. But what is the future of Partake?
6: My goal is that we'll continue to grow across multiple product lines that one day you'll see partake in every aisle of your grocery store um, and in stores around the country. While 6000 is a big jump from where we were, I think there's a a ton of opportunity ahead of us. Um, So we're excited to grow the business and along the way continue to grow the impact that we're having on our community.
2: Okay, cool. Here's our relationship. You owe me a a cheesecake recipe. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've ordered my five-in-one mix, so I owe you some... um some uh pictures at least of me making the product I'm gonna do blueberry muffins I gotta do I've, I've yet to do blueberry muffins so I'm gonna I'm gonna take you a mix and do a blueberry muffin I've done the banana nuts I've done all the, the crumbles and all that the apple crumbles now blueberries I'm excited about that because a warm blueberry muffin for breakfast is like outstanding so I'm gonna do that mm-hmm. and so and from there we're gonna go for and we we'll just see where our, our relationship goes from there is that cool
6: that sounds like a plan. I appreciate you having me. It was wonderful <laughs> chatting with you.
2: Okay, thank you. And thank you, Denise Warder, for coming on Money Making Conversation. And we're live
1: here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go. Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere.
5: we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
1: Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when there are parched or windy conditions out there, you gotta be extra careful with things like burning yard waste after all wildfires can start anywhere even in your neck of the woods go to smokeybear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention brought to you by the u.s forest service your state forester and the ad council
2: today my guest is one of my favorite people on the food network channel any channel that deals with food is duff goldman when he when his dream of rock stardom wasn't playing or paying the bills like my dream of being a comedian, wasn't paying a bill, he turned his pastry talents and founded Charm City Cakes in Baltimore, Maryland in 2002. He's an entrepreneur. His cakes are sold on Gold Belly and are available nationwide shipping, and you also can buy a Duff cake mix. He recently released his first kid's cookbook, Super Good Baking for Kids, and in 2020, 2021, he became a proud papa, which I love to talk about. Boy, it changes your life. I got the only daughter <laughs> that changed my life. Duff is on the show to talk about his new Discovery Plus original series, Duff's Happy Fun Bake Time, premiering April 29th on Discovery Plus. Please welcome to Money Made Conversation. He's going to make me smile. I know he is. Duff on. <laughs> How you doing, sir? <laughs> got the T-shirt on. How you doing, Rashad? You, you just marketing all. You got the T-shirt on. I don't know what kind of bull you got on your shirt. That you just doing it. <laughs> Looking good, man. How you doing, proud papa? Let's Thank talk you. about that being a proud papa, man.
1: Oh man! So we have a daughter. She is three months old, and I feel like I feel like I finally have purpose in my life. There, I I understand now the reason why they. Put me on this earth. It was to be a daddy. I love it. I just love it.
2: It's really amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I know. I you know, fortunate to have a daughter. You know, and as well, and um, just the the you know, it's it's just unconditional love. You know, and then yeah, and then you get to that part, Duff, where you know you. You can't hurt them, you know, even though they fall, they can't sit up because they don't have a spine yet strong enough to hold them up. <laughs> and the whole process is, is it really does give you a sense of purpose, man, you know, because not saying you don't have it, but it gives you a future. It becomes part of your what, what you know, you have a purpose of planning this young child, 18 years, all the years that you've had in your head about your life that people have talked about now is being transferred into this child. Tell us about it.
1: Well, you know, if there's something about like raising a child and then you think about like my own childhood, I'm like, Okay, what do I like about myself? And how do I foster that into her? And what do what would I like to not have? Like, you know, there's yeah, we all have things where we're critical of And how do you, when you're raising a child, like how do you make sure that, you know, they are equipped with the things that will help them through those problems better than you were when, you know, you were trying to figure that out and just trying to understand, like, how do I articulate these things? to my child as she's growing up you know
2: yeah that's that's important because you know you're you're moving your your industry has always been adult driven it's not kind of moving in that direction of children and i'm gonna tell you something i've watched the show we're going to talk about and i'm gonna jump around a little bit because i'm talking really moving into the duff happy fun bake time because they sent me a bunch of clips of the show because it premieres yeah. you know this month and so when i watched the clips What audience are you, let me ask you first, what audience are you shooting for for the show? Let
1: me ask you that first. So I really want everybody to watch it. I want kids to watch it. I want their parents to watch it with them. I I wanted it to be like not just tolerable, but really enjoyable for adults. But I want people who don't have kids to watch it too. And um, my last cookbook was for kids. And I wrote that book, especially so if, if kids get it, they're going to be stoked. If adults get it, they're going to be stoked too. Cause all the recipes are real. I tend to find that if I talk to kids and adults, the same, like like if I talk to the kids, like adults, kids respond much better. You know, when you, when you really kind of like slow it way down and really talk down kids tune out, they're like, I don't got time for that,
0: right. you know?
1: And so um, hopefully uh, for dust, happy, fun, Bake time, I hope everybody across the across the spectrum loves it. High school kids, college kids, adults, kids, parents, everybody.
2: Well I think it's gonna be a big hit with millennials because millennials are into that, you know, you know, do it yourself. They, they, they they're used to the podcast, they they grew up on the video, the YouTube. So they're used to watching stuff and being told what to do through a screen, and also until some adult telling them what to do. But I'm going to tell you, watching the videos, one thing I did notice is it's really good, is that because you're moving kind of slow, you know, because because you're dealing with uh, Jim Hansen characters around, you have to respond back to them. It really helped me, and I can bake and I can cook. But when I normally watch TV, you guys are so smooth, y'all so fast, that sometimes, you know, you have to put pause. And really, watching you, you don't have to put the – you can almost follow you and bake it at the same time, right?
1: Oh, that's good. You know, one of the things that I try to do, and we do it on Happy Fun Bake Time, too, whenever I'm cooking on television, I always tell them, leave the mistakes in. If I make a mistake, I want everybody to see it, and then they can hear me talk – myself through it and that way like when i'm learning if i if i do something i'm like okay i messed this thing up i need to think about my process i need to think about what i'm doing i do it out loud and i i talk through my thought process and that way everybody at home understands how i'm thinking about that and it 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 goes it doesn't it it becomes uh, an opportunity there not a mistake anymore now everybody's learning good
2: well, you know, yeah. I thought that was really important that I got that out to you because, you know, videos of, you know, you have these little quick videos on Buzz and all BuzzFeed and all that stuff. You know, they move yeah. so fast, you have to pause, 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 pause. Watching your show or the clips that they sent to me of your show, I was like, wow, I could actually simultaneously do this as he's, as he's doing it. And I'm adult. So I, that's why I asked you earlier. Who are you really playing to? If you're playing for kids, I think a lot of adults are going to glob into, you know, going to watch this show because I can follow it. And it's very important.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I I really think that um, the the tone of it, it's very funny. Uh, You know, my sort of biggest influences are like, I like everything absurdist. So, you know, Monty Python, uh, Kids in the Hall, things like that. Um, I love Pee Wee's Playhouse growing up. You know, that was another sort of big (laughs) influence, you know, and I just, you know, just Pee Wee's, you know, Paul Reuben's just imagination is just through the roof. I just love the way he thinks. And so, you know, there's a a lot of those kind of influences really went into the show. And when you watch it, there's some really absurd, silly, fun stuff. Like there's, um, there are six eggs in the refrigerator that are puppets. Each one of them is a different grandmother. Right. And so, any anytime I open the fridge, all the grandmothers, you know, they kind of you know yell at me, and it, it's really funny. It's really really funny. Okay,
2: so well, you, you got to start. Let's talk about these characters. You got Couscous, Dizzy, Edgar Slater, Dragon Oven, and your boy Jeff. So let's talk about let's Jeff. It down, let's, Jeff let's talk about each one of those characters because off air, and I got to bring it on air. You know, I'm a little older than you. It reminded me of watching a great cooking version of uh, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It reminded yeah. me of Captain Kangaroo. And, you know, so it was refreshing watching this show. But I also know, you know, it's a risk, too, because people it can come across as silly. It can come, what is he doing? He looks crazy. But it really <laughs> comes across as entertaining. And you have a really good sense of humor and, and perfect comic timing. Perfect comic timing.
1: Thank you. I, uh, you know, I grew up listening to, like, comedic records. You know, my parents had a lot of comedy on records and I used to listen to them over and over again. And I think I developed my comedic timing relatively early without even thinking about it. So, um, like all the characters there, uh, let's start with Jeff. So Jeff is my real life, uh, you know, partner, chef de cuisine. I mean, he's been my sous chef. Since, you know, almost day one. Yes. Um, you know, I started Charm City Cakes in 2002. Jeff started working for me in 2003. And we've known each other since college. You know, I mean, we've been friends forever. And um, so uh, and Jeff is also a musician. I'm a musician. A lot of the people when we started Charm City Cakes, it was all my friends who were in bands who needed a job. And so we started this bakery so we could all work. And so um, Jeff is in, in Happy Fun Bake Time. He's the purveyor. So whenever I need ingredients, flour, wow, butter, whatever, Jeff shows up and brings it to me. But Jeff is also an amazing singer, songwriter. So every time Jeff comes and drops off the groceries, he pulls out a guitar or a ukulele or something, and he sings a song about whatever it is that we're doing in the kitchen. And it was just kind of like a fun way to sort of like get Jeff's like other talent besides cake decorating, you know, as part of the show. because Music is a big, big part of it too.
2: Yeah. And now we have now Jim Henson. We cannot forget. Let's let's go back to all these uh, all these uh, puppets that are powered by Jim Henson's genius, his brand genius. And now you, Duff. Okay, did the idea come to you or did you pitch the idea to them? And then let's talk about these characters that were developed around you while you're doing these cooking sessions and baking sessions.
5: Gotcha.
1: Yeah. So I was in my apartment and I was baking and I was watching Sesame Street. Um uh, I I I watch a lot of kids' shows, like just I really do enjoy them, like not just as research or anything. I just I like watching Sesame Street, it's a fantastic show. And so I was baking and i watching TV and baking and I'm like looking at it and I was like, you know, this would be a really good idea, right? Baking and you know, having puppets and like being able to do all like the really conceptual beautiful artwork that that they did on sesame street so i wrote basically like a like i, I wrote the first episode right I, my wife and i created these characters and we kind of came up with like how we're explaining the science of how an egg works right and then um i wrote this whole thing and i brought it to jim henson uh the jim henson company and i was like hey here's my idea and i kind of like acted out the whole show and uh they were like yes we're gonna we want to make that And then we brought it to Food Network and we brought it to Discovery and we're like, hey, I got this idea. It's not like, you know, there's no scripted television on Food Network or really on any Discovery. And I was like, I really want to do this show. I think it's great. And they're like, we do too. Let's make it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, like you understand how this business works. Like the fact that something this different and kind of, you know, just like, there's not really a model for what we did. The fact that something like this got made is, I mean, it's a million to one, and you know. Well, you I know, just thank well, God that's
2: that the power. <laughs> uh, that's the power of streaming television. Because you know, if it was like a, if it was on the, what do we slot this on the cook, cooking channel? What do we slot this on the Food Network? But in streaming, you know, it's, everything's a category, and you're and you're a brand. So they go, well, this is Duff's new show. And, and I just love the yeah. fact that, you know, I know you said Sesame Street. And the reason I, I went with uh, Captain Kangaroo and I went with, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is because it was individuals. And individuals, and i was just saying, it's just me just talking about your talent. And you're just a charismatic, fun, entertaining guy, you know. And we're going to talk about Charm City in a minute because the fact that that, evolved around just 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 individuals who just thought out of the box and the kitchen is amazing to me but that's why I thought that it was special because you know, every, every era, every 20 years, you know, there's a new individual that comes along that just really separates himself in that educational platform because this is what this really is. It's education for the young people to make them understand and be safe in the kitchen because you teach all those tips and you have all these devices yeah. that the oven talks and, and all these things and the robot sitting right next to you with the big eyeballs and all these different <laughs> things and Slater, you know, the slow moving sloth is over there just, just you know hanging off on you. That, that really, really, and and it it helps me out. And I think that because you're a new father now, you know, this is even more exciting because of the fact that it's going to repeat, 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 and your child's going to grow up on this and you're going to have a whole new army of bakers and
1: cooks because of you, Duff. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, it's, it's nice. Like, so with all the other characters, so couscous is my sous chef and she is, Couscous is really in charge of the kitchen. She has right. a robot that I made out of old kitchen parts, mm-hmm. and she kind of keeps the rest of us in line because everybody else is a little crazy, uh, including me. Um, so there is uh, there's a there's a blue crab uh, from you know Chesapeake Bay. You know, I wanted to give a little nod to Baltimore. So there's a blue crab who's real crabby, and uh, another little nod to Baltimore. His name is Edgar after Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. who was born in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's see, there's Slater, who's kind of like the slacker sloth who lives in the ceiling and he kind of comes down every <laughs> once in a while. And yeah, um, the, the nice thing about Slater is that he's the one that's asking a lot of questions, right? right? He'll be like, why are you doing that? What's going on here? Why are we going to stick that thing in the mixer? You know, he's always asking questions. And so by asking questions, he gets me to, to you know, sort of like, you know, save the things that are really kind of the, the meat. You know, of like, well, let me show you how eggs work. Let me show you how the gluten in flour makes pasta chewy, you know, things like that. Um, there's also our oven is a dragon, and he bakes everything in his mouth. So when we need to bake something, he gives a big roar and steam comes out. We put the food in his mouth. He closes it. He bakes it. and Then we pull it back out. Love it. <laughs> I love that. We do the beauty and of then, it. Um, the mixer uh-huh. is, I was looking at my mixer, and I was like, okay, I'm going to need a mixer. And I was kind of thinking of Cherry from Pee Wee's Playhouse, mm-hmm. you know, the big chair that talks. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think of, like what, like, what does mixer, like, look like? And I just thought, you know, what if it was an elephant, right? Like, right. you know, you can kind of see <laughs> big ears, And then uh, she would mix everything. She mixes everything with her trunk. right,
3: right. Right. So, right. You know,
1: yeah.
2: you probably say this guy's really too engaged with this show. But I, I, I am because I'm excited about what you're doing because first of all it's a lot of hard work because it's scripted. And so a lot of so you, you pitch the idea that really, unlike the other shows you've done, which is natural talent improv, you have a Thank script you. that you have to memorize and Cause when you throw a joke, somebody gotta respond to the joke. How much work was that was involved in the in the in the table reads and the scripting of this stuff? And you stand on point with
1: your conversation. Oh man, I gotta say it's it was very uncomfortable. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I really had to like, wow, I have to say a thing that I have to I have to I actually have to know what's about to come out of my mouth. Yes, because like usually it's just you know it's just coming out. Like now I have like a, a specific thing that I have to say. I'm not good at that. You know? And when I, it's funny when I first pitched the show to, to Jim Henson company, I assumed that somebody would be playing the, the head baker, the, you know, the person. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's gotta be you. And I was like, not an actor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, just, I'm a cake decorator. Like it has to be you. It has, mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll give it a shot, you know, um, and uh, so you know we did. But it was it was it was really difficult. But it was also because the puppeteers are so amazing. They gotta remember, like these are the best of the best, right? In, in this industry, I mean, these guys, like they were, um, you know, one one of the puppet lead on *Duff's Happy Fun Bake Time* was also um, *Agra* in *The Dark Crystal*. And when I found that out. I like kind of like, I got like a little starstruck, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, I just, the, 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 the puppeteers that were on the show were just really, really good. And one of the things that they're great at is improv. And, you know, I am a total newbie. I have never acted. This is the first time I've had to learn lines and, like, you know, interact with, I've never worked with puppets before. I mean, this was all new to me, but they were so good at what they do. They could take somebody that had never been uh, seen any of this world, you know, mm-hmm. any of it. Mm-hmm. And they brought me in and just, they made me good. You know, Wow, it, it was magic. You well, know? you know,
2: the, the thing about it is that, uh, first of all, I'm excited for you. You're, you're a great man. Uh, Thank I you. love you. But it all started somewhere. And it all started with a, with like a, like a madhouse genius. I'm going to use that word. A <laughs> madhouse genius in 2002 at Charm City Cakes. Can you at least tell uh, my listeners and viewers, how did that come about? And then how did TV discover you?
1: So um, I was, uh, I graduated culinary school in 97 uh, and I was working in hotels and restaurants and I was I was basically just driving around the country and kind of bumming and, and, you know, doing different things, just trying things out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to cook, but I wasn't sure like, did I want to be a pastry chef at a hotel? Did I want to work in a bakery? Did I want to own a bakery? Did I want to work in a cake shop or a restaurant? Did I want to be a pastry chef in a five-star, you know, really crazy place? I just, I didn't know where I fit. And um, eventually I, I got back to Baltimore um, and I was working as a personal chef for a family, uh, and they had four kids and I was, you know, I was really good with the kids. So that was kind of where I first realized I was like, I don't know why, but for some reason kids like responsively. but then, um, I, uh, I kind of wanted to put my cooking career on hold because I'm also a musician and I wanted to see if I could actually make it as a working, you know, musician right. in a rock mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. So I quit my job and I started making cakes in my apartment so I could pay the rent <laughs> while I was becoming, uh, you know, a big famous rock star. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for that to happen. But um, so we, I was just making cakes in my apartment. And like Baltimore is not a big city, right? It's a you know, medium sized city. And so when somebody who's like in their early 20s, covered in tattoos, who's in a rock band is making, you know, really beautiful wedding cakes. Like people talk about it. They're like, well, that's weird. And then, uh, so I started getting more business and, you know, people started realizing like, oh, this guy's actually good at what he does. And then, um, so then I hired my friend, Jeff, and then I hired a bunch of other of my friends. Um, some of them were going to art school, uh, in, in Baltimore, but they're all friends from kind of the music and art community of Baltimore, very, very tight community. Um, well, then uh, we got a call from Food Network. They wanted us to be to compete on one of the competition shows. Mm. And so Jeff and I were like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." And so we went and we competed, and like you know, we failed. Like you know, I think we're at like third or fourth place. Like, mm. did not make a big splash as far as like our cake decorating skills go. Right. But <laughs> we're we were we're really funny. <laughs> so <laughs> like you know we were just we you kind of have like a very natural banter. We've known each other forever. And, um, you know, so he's kind of like the straight man I'm the kind of wild man. And they, they liked this, like, Hey, do you want to compete, you know, on another one? And I was like, well, we didn't win. And they're like, it doesn't matter. You guys are great. You're funny. <laughs> so they kept having us on, even though we never win. Right. We never won. We weren't even like, you know, top three. Like we were always, you know, kind of floating around the middle. A couple of times we were all the way at the bottom. Like our cakes would fall apart things would catch on fire and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they were like, you guys are great TV. So then they came. They wanted to shoot some B-roll. So in TV, B-roll is like the kind of like the footage that somebody talks over. And so right. if you're seeing a you know a, a cityscape, but you hear somebody's voice, that's B-roll, right? So they wanted to get some B-roll in the bakery. And so when they came to the bakery, everybody in there was either in a, like a, a rock band or was going to art school. So mm-hmm. everybody was very unique, mm-hmm. right? Lot of tattoos, lot of weird color hair. A lot of, you know, people just dress weird. Like, we're just, you know, a bunch of weirdos. And so, they were, like, filming, and they're like, oh, there's a whole bunch of you guys. You know, we should we should do a show in your bakery because we've never seen anything like this. There's a bunch of weird art kids with, you know, power tools on the wall making insane cakes. Wow. Well, you're, you're brilliant, yeah.
2: my man. You're a genius. Uh, Discovery Plus <laughs> original series, Duff's Happy Fun. Bake Time premieres April 29th. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for allowing me to speak to somebody I consider uh, a genius in the baking and the culinary, the, in that world that I aspire to. You say you want to be a rock star? I want to be a bake star. How about that?
1: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Boy, well, Rashad, if you're ever out in LA, man, look me up. Come on over. What's up, Derek? You sound super cool. I
2: appreciate man. it. You will be doing, did my boy Stephen A. show today, right? You're doing this show, did this show, right? Stephen yeah, A. That's yeah, yeah. Totally. That's, my, that's my TV show, too. I executive produced that show. Oh, cool. Right. Yeah, He's, right. So, right. He's amazing. Yeah. So I, so I got love for you, Duff. I got love for you, okay? Thank you. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. I got to let you go, man. they they pressing me. I appreciate you. Talk soon. Bye-bye. All right, buddy. Mm-hmm. See you soon. Bye.
6: If I could be you. And you could be me for just one hour.
2: If you could find a way.
6: To get inside each other's
1: mind. Walk a mile in my shoes.
2: Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a walk mile, mile in my, in my in shoes. My shoes.
1: shoes.
2: Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald, host of MoneyMakingConversations.com. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of Black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is The Black Man Project. The Black Man Project founders are a filmmaker, Brian Ellison, a sculptor, Anthony Suber, and anthropologist, Marlon Hall. They travel the nation archiving the stories Black men tell of masks and life's meaning. They're rooted in creating safe spaces for healthy conversations while exploring the many nuances that affect men of color.
1: The need of of these conversations and this project, it is something that has gone for so long uh, unnoticed. You know, a lot of us are, you know, suffering day to day. And a lot of times, you know, we're moving without actually going anywhere. And so we're spinning our wheels in essence when we, we need to tap into that that inner self and be able to reflect and be emotionally healthy, really. The Cafe
2: Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit.
6: Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald.
2: My next guest is an entrepreneur. Her name is Liz Rogers. She is the executive chef and CEO of the Cream Malicious brand. That's right, Cream Malicious brand, a minority owned business that is implementing their innovative approach. dessert category. We talking about ice cream, y'all. Ice cream. Everybody knows I love ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. Chef... (laughs) I know I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. Let me calm down. Chef Leah Rogers honed her passion for cooking and cooking for others growing up in the Cleveland, Ohio area, you know, that's the Harvard country, under the watchful eye of her mother and grandmother. She prides herself on being truly innovative with her two-in-one desserts that pair uh, fresh-baked pastries with homemade ice cream made with only the freshest ingredients. Please, Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I met her in person. She drove down, gave me some of that ice cream in person. Then I ordered some online. The queen of ice cream. That's what I call her. The queen of ice cream. Miss Creamalicious herself, Liz Rogers. How you doing, Liz?
7: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today.
2: Cool. Uh, Liz, uh, ice cream. Why ice cream?
7: ice cream is the world's number one dessert. Um, ice cream makes people happy. It brings the world together. You know, we don't have to, you know, wonder what it is or what it tastes like. We just know that it's good. So ice cream just brings everybody together so you can do so many whimsical things with it and just be as innovative as you want to be.
2: Well, you know, the word innovative now, you know, I'm just I'm just going to tell you, I'm just a guy who eats the ice cream, okay? There's certain ice cream that I really like. I'm not doing Trash and it ice cream that I don't like, but I'm a big fan of certain ice cream. I come from Texas, which is Blue Bell ice cream country. So I kind of like grew up on Blue Bell ice cream. And then you came to town, Atlanta, Georgia. That's my town, with your creamelicious ice cream. You know, just out of the blue, a friend of mine from Los Angeles recommended I should eat your ice cream, and outstanding. Ice cream was outstanding, Liz. But you, but you, but you, but you knew that though. But you, you you, you, have the confidence in yourself to know you have a top-of-the-line brand, correct?
7: Well, I, I'm an executive chef by trade and restaurateur, and I really wanted to make sure that I work with the top food scientists in the country to um, just really bring my brand to light. I am like... I, I really did not want to to go in and um, put my label on a private label, someone else's um, brand. I really wanted to create my own intellectual property, uh, things and formulas that would be proprietary to Creamalicious. So I wanted to make sure that ice cream was extremely creamy. I wanted to make sure that all the pastries and the crust and everything was exactly the texture that it needed to be, and it wasn't soggy. So there was just a lot of time and a lot of thought and a lot of research that went into creating the ice cream before uh, this brand was actually um, created and, and able to go on the shelf. Now,
2: before we get more detail about the about your. Cremalicious brand, there's always a journey to get here. You know, you're four generations. You know, we mentioned your mom and your grandmother. Talk about that relationship that led you to the life of being an executive chef.
7: um, I'm the oldest of of, uh, four. So I'm the big sister. I have three brothers and my mom was a single parent. She was a welder. And so she taught me how to cook. And I used to cook for my brothers and take care of them while she was at work. And so the really cool thing was I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and I noticed she made just everything from scratch as well. She just really made a lot of things from scratch and we would make up stuff like pound cake and make jello and and top the pound cake with the jello with some whipped cream just gave it a lot of different textures and flavors and just you know we just did whatever we wanted to do and that was my opportunity to really spend time with my family and my mom and my grandmother and just really just build a bond and that was our way of communicating love and it's it's just full of amazing memories for the both of them
2: pound cake top it with jello and whipped cream. Girl, that sounds pretty good to me.
7: It's just a light, delicious dessert. So it wasn't heavy and it, it was flavorful. So you you do the strawberry jello on top of a butter pound cake and some whipped cream. And it was just something we made that, you know, we would sit on the porch when it rained. My grandmother, she, um, she, she loved like all these plants. She had a green thumb, you know, and, and we would sit there while it rained and you know, on the porch with like a thousand plants and eating this little dessert, and it it may not be much today, but back then it was just a really big deal for me.
2: Well, it's a big deal to me right now because I'm trying to figure out how I can get some. <laughs> That's you. Well, the cool thing about it is you have history in food. Now you had a very popular restaurant in Hamilton, Ohio. I believe it's the name of it. it was Mahogany. Now, now, what type of restaurant was that in the Ohio area? Tell me a little background on that.
7: So is- Mahogany's. Mahogany's was like a Southern cuisine restaurant. Uh, we made everything from scratch, but it really, um, we we really, we could give you an amazing plate of food, but it really was about the experiences. We had karaoke, live entertainment. It was very intimate, very small. Uh, kitchen was probably smaller than a submarine kitchen, I feel, but we did so many things out of there. And I think the big thing was we knew all of our customers' names. We were able to provide just this amazing welcoming experience and people would come there and eat. And it was almost like you were eating out of your mom or your grandmother's kitchen because that's how we cooked. So we peeled our, our yams. We didn't cook any yams out of a can. We picked our collard greens. Um, We smoked our wings. We had uh, amazing dry rubs and it was just a real good experience. And you never knew who you were going to meet when you came there and you just felt like you were home.
2: Now, when you have something like that, it feels it's more of a passion tied to the bottom line, but you had an opportunity to move to a new location. Now, why did you make that move? Because that new location sounded like a good idea, but it turned out not to be the right idea, correct? Correct.
7: You know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you you want to see your, your brands make it. You want to see everything expand. And um, a year and a half after being open, um, we became a really big destination. So it was Mahogany's in Hamilton was in a very small area, residential area, not the best area. But Hamilton was just an amazing, welcoming town. They really took a chance on me. I took a chance on them and had to really... Um, to town and just we just made something together i feel the community really supported it so we ended up having people driving for two hours away and buses coming from florida to come to this little bitty place and only had about 30 or 40 seats Mm -hmm. and i had the uh, city of cincinnati come to me and the mayor asking would i move my brand to the um, banks of cincinnati so i ended up being uh the first male or female african-american to be part of a major multi-million dollar development in the city of Cincinnati. Uh, and I didn't take the, the offer at first, but uh, with some of the leadership in Cincinnati, they thought it would be a really great idea. And based on the packages and the different things that I was offered, I thought it would be a good idea, too. But it, it ended up not being the best business move. So I learned a lot of lessons, but for me, it didn't mean I had to live in my lessons and uh, essentially just ended up making a really bad decision on expanding my brand and pretty much lost everything. So I always say as an executive chef, I don't cook with politics. And, you know, that was just something that I wasn't really familiar with. And I I pretty much ended up uh, being extremely uh, famous in town for taking that deal and uh, losing everything and then coming back.
2: Well you know this show is about money making conversations. It's also about advice. It's also I always like to take those little nuggets because you say you learn a couple of lessons about this because you're on the show about the success of Creamaliias and stores nationwide. you about to make an appearance on a um, Ellen show, which is a national TV appearance. when you say because I always tell people you know follow your dream and a lot of times people will give you advice. But they have no, uh, like, like I said, they have no uh, bone in the fight, or no financial commitment in the fight. They just got good ideas. So that seems to me what happened. A lot of people with a lot of good ideas, and it's uh, for sure the city's going to support you. You know, everybody, the traffic's going to be natural down there. What lessons did you learn? Because a lot of people get these these big opportunities and these good suggestions, but they need to do their homework on the suggestion. Correct.
7: That's correct. You know, you, first of all, you need to, to research things more, um, It's about partnerships. Uh, If everyone in a partnership is is a good steward and everyone's doing exactly what they committed to do and what they say that they're going to do, things should work out, right? But when you have a partnership and there's uh, other agendas and people aren't willing to make sure that you're successful, or maybe you were offered something just as a a pawn, maybe you were, it was a token situation. every business should have the opportunity to succeed or fail on its own merits. Um, I went through a lot of being called the N word, A great amount of racism. Um, You know, I I struggled with a lot from uh, the African-American community, some uh, that felt that, you know, perhaps I was leaving them behind when essentially I was really trying to expand my brand and really take care of my family. Uh, Dealt with a lot with the Caucasian community that really felt like I didn't have uh, the right to be on the banks, on the riverfront with a beautiful restaurant. Um, So, you know, I kind of caught it from both ends. But through all of that, I was able to create malicious and um, just deal with the things on the other end and staying really, really focused. So I always say that if you're going to be involved in something, understand the rules of the game if you're going to suit up, because I didn't sit on the bench, right? I was in the game, you know, and I'm the type of entrepreneur, I'm just going to go for it. And fear paralyzes us. We have to understand that at the end of the day, you just got to go for your dreams. You know, you have to understand that, These are the rules. And they're not going to be fair. We can't sit around and say, oh, I didn't get the same treatment because you're not going to be treated the same, Um, especially as a minority business. And you have to own everything. I own all of my mistakes. I own all decisions I make. I'm human. Right. Right. We all make mistakes. Um, We all are human Uh, in business. We're we're learning. I said my situation was a little bit more public. But I was able to really give a lot of minority chefs an opportunity to shine, give them a platform to be leaders, uh, give them a a platform to be a part of something great. So we have to understand that even if it's five seconds on the clock and I get the ball on the 50 yard line, I'm going for it. So I got a 50-50 chance of either making a touchdown or I'm going to get thrown to the ground. But at the end of the day, there's always another day to play, you know, and that's where I'm
2: at. Well, you're fantastic. You articulated as well as I would have wanted to articulate it to people who are watching this or who are listening to this on podcast. It's about money-making conversation. Now, your desserts in your in your bio say you craft your desserts by harnessing the familiar experience that Southern comfort food brings, blended with culinary artistry, which is your skill level. I'm just an eater, okay? But it's the art that you put it together because when I dug into your ice cream and you was watching me, you know, I, I I saw I saw the vanilla wafer, you know. I, I the red velvet tasted like red velvet. Talk about that whole process, because like you said, you wanted to make sure that that cookie wasn't soggy. You wanted to make sure that the dessert felt like the dessert that you were selling, on the, uh, as far as the brand of the name. Because I'm we're gonna, we're gonna get into the name of your funny dessert names that you put on here. But talk about that process, and and then you know, because some people say. Some people's level of satisfaction could stop here, but you pushed it beyond their satisfaction to reach your standards, correct?
7: Right. So Cremalicious, it's, it's not just a dessert, it's an experience. You know, I want to take you on a journey. We're the storytellers, right? we We want to take you to better times. There's so many unprecedented times that we're having, you know, in the world right now. And I just want to let people understand that, you know, we all have something in common. We're not that different. We all love ice cream, right? Uh, different variations of ice cream, whether we're vegan or lactose intolerant. We want to make sure that creamalicious is in a dessert category of its own. There, There is no other ice cream on the market like Cremalicious at this point. And I don't feel there will be because we all have our own niches. And I felt like I can carve my own niche by, first of all, being extremely authentic, um, making sure that we have Good comfort foods to basically comfort us during these crazy moments that we're having in life. You know, when you eat that slap your mama banana pudding, it just makes you feel happy, <laughs> according to the customers. They, you know, it's just so funny in different parts of the world, just looking at some of the video, they always say, oh my God, I just feel happy, right? And so, you know, just taking that second to just enjoy your dessert, making sure that that sweet potato pie tastes exactly like a slice of sweet potato pie. Mm-hmm. You Having those notes of nutmeg and cinnamon and fresh vanilla bean and a puree of uh, sweet potato with the actual butter butternut crust. I mean, you know, like we need that shortbread crust and, and everything in that dessert is homemade. And it's from... An actual recipe that came from my mom and my grandmother's kitchen. So I just want people to experience that and not just have some ice cream and a pint. I just want to be a part of 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 their lives and the experience at that moment.
2: Woo girl, now you need I gotta come on in. Now you kinda mentioned a little, you teased us a little bit on some of those names. I'm gonna slow everybody down. She was just not throwing out names to be funny. Those are some of the actual names. On the actual cartons of, bike, of ice cream you buy. Now this morning I got up prior to my interview with her. I ordered. You can order what they call the seven indulgent flavors. There's seven of them. You can order seven. Nice little discount you get on it. They, they ship it immediately via UPS. I already, I ordered it this morning. I already got my notice roughly we'll four hours later that the shipment is on the way that's how fast they operate the packaging is fantastic let's 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 go before I start getting into the flavors the packaging because and how did you come up with the name cream malicious
7: because instead of delicious I wanted it to be cream malicious, you know um, just whimsical like I didn't want it too upscale because this is an upscale dessert but I feel like upscale casual um, southern Um Mainly just a southern sojourn, you know, just like really like a soiree where you're just like, you know, just having an amazing time and, and dancing and just just enjoying everything that there is to enjoy about this particular dessert. And just the creaminess of it is really, really creamy. Um, it's a lot more creamier than most. And it's a super premium item. So it's it, it really is a very high, high pr- product that we've made very decadent and very indulgent as well. So we didn't spare on anything. We do not use any artificial flavoring or coloring. Um, We don't use a lot of high fructose corn syrup or anything like that. So, you know, while it does have a lot of calories, I don't suggest eating a whole uh, pint if you're looking out for those calories. But if you are going to cheat, I need you to cheat with Creamalicious. I'm just going to let you know, I did
2: eat a whole pint. In fact, <laughs> how, how many, when you visited me, how many did you leave me? By, what? About by, by seven? How many? How did you leave me?
7: I left you the seven indulgent flavors. Okay, okay, cool.
2: We have uh, two left. Okay. My oh, staff, wow. okay. my staff ate one. Total, you know, we all sampled a little bit up, but I'm just telling you, they probably consume one. So, so that statement about don't eat one, consume one, I've done that, and I apologize because it was just that good. You know, I I put it on. Uh, I, I even had fun. I had a slice of sweet potato pie, and I put my little. My little cream delicious sweet potato pie right on top, and then I had a slice of peach cobbler. I was just having fun with your dessert because I can bake as well. So in my kitchen, I okay. I just happened this <laughs> week. I I happened to put it out there, and then, so I'm a, I'm gonna post you on Monday under my motivation on Monday. I always post people on motivation about overcoming the odds, and I want to post you and, and recognize you overcoming the odds, and now have uh, established a national ice cream, and you the queen of ice cream. You you're, you're cream delicious. You're Liz Rogers, and I want to I want to talk about that. But that's what you're trying to do right now. You're trying to get your brain out there. You're willing to become the face of your ice cream brand, and that's important, correct? It is
7: very important. You can't I'm I'm definitely not ashamed of Of anything. You know, everyone has a story. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes we just can't keep getting so caught up in the things that we read. I I just learned that just a regular person being a chef and just a regular person, just um, being involved with people writing stories and dealing with journalists and news and media and different things, that was a different world for me that, you know, you can truly have an interview and then it turns into something else that and you know, you can be painted a different way, but I feel like the people that know me and understand these struggles and how hard it is to have a small business, um, what I'm doing and and what I'm trying to do, especially with the, the ice cream right now, um, I the cream malicious is it's bigger than me. You know, um, being one of the first African American ice cream manufacturers in mass production in the whole world today, you know, I, I really want people to understand that this is really, really a big deal. There's a lot of ice creams out there on the shelf. Um, I went to a lot of different retailers and I had many, many doors slammed in my face. You know, they were like, you know, hey, you're a minority business, so we're not gonna take a chance on you or they won't return your calls. And um, then they taste your ice cream and then there's all these things going on. Then you start to get calls. And I was really appreciative that Walmart and Meyer and Chinooks just really took a chance on me. Uh, Walmart is the biggest retailer in the world, and they just really, really believed in what I was trying to do prior to everyone doing things for African-American businesses. I really just wanted Creamalicious to stand on its own, you know, and I don't want to be a token. I want to earn my space on the shelf and compete just like anyone else. But I always say I'm going to compete with myself because I'm I'm innovative. I'm forever changing Going to forever be creative and really give the consumer something different every time.
2: Well, you know, let's let's go down these uh, indulgent flavors uh, that I'm about to receive, and uh, I'm gonna. St- what I'm gonna do is when I get them, I'm gonna stack them all up in front of me, and I'm gonna take a picture and send it to you. And I'm gonna post it, you know, because everybody know I love sweets. Now you have a Ain' Poonie's, that's right, Poonie's, right? Yeah, right. Uh, Ain't Poonie's caramel pound cake. Now, and then you have a. Uh, uh, then you have Right as Rain, Red Velvet Cheesecake. Mm, 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 mm. Thick as Thieves, Pecan Pie. Mm. Slap Your Mama, Banana Pudding. Porch Light, Peach Cobbler. We all know you're in the hood. You know about that porch light. Boy, <laughs> right. if you're not home before that <laughs> light that's on, we're going to have a problem. I had that conversation with my dad several times growing up. Uncle Charles, Brown Sugar Bourbon Cake. And then Grandma Gigi's. Sweet potato pie. Mm, 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 mm.
7: Now, yeah, those stories, uh, you know, people need to understand the history of um, the South with the desserts. You know, the red velvet cake was uh, considered a celebration cake when African Americans received their freedom. Uh, porch light peach cobblers, just like what you said. You know, like we'll leave the light on for you. You're welcome. You mm-hmm. know, this house is safe. You know, it's it was just, you know it was just really a big thing. You know, um, I have one called quite cake that'll be out this summer and it's a uh, Southern white cake. And it was one of the first cakes that they made in the South. And it was considered a peace offering cake. Um, Aunt Poonie's caramel pound cake. uh, She was my godmother and she actually made that pound cake in a cast iron skillet that was passed down from generation to generation to her daughter, Patricia, and they still have this cast iron skillet. And then finally, um, Uncle Charles Brown Sugar Bourbon, you know, everybody has an Uncle Charles. That that was the cool uncle that you couldn't <laughs> wait for him to come over. He always had his brand. He always had his stash and his flask. He's always drinking. But he was that uncle that everybody loved and and couldn't wait to see at the holidays. So, you know, malicious is, is each one of those brands. They're very authentic. They're about real people, real times, real stories. And, and we tell the stories. We're the storytellers. So people should know what they're eating. They should be a part of Each one of those flavors, I feel that someone can actually relate to uh, a better times, you know, in their lives and their Mm -hmm. family.
2: Now, do you, are we we are we do we see any uh, cream-alicious ice cream stands or pop-up stands uh, that's coming along the way? Because it sounds so fun. It sounds like in the middle of summer, I should see a, a cream malicious pop-up somewhere just to surprise people. Or some some quick stores that will pop up during the summer selling this brand or serving this brand. Because it's so fun and your storytelling is amazing and so authentic. That's what I love about it. Because, you know, like you say, when you say Grandma Gigi, I know Grandma, and then you have slap your mama. You know that's like a running tale, boy. That food's so good, make one slap your mama, boy. I'm telling you. You know, I, I, we know we've heard that so many times growing up. But every time we heard it, we smiled, we laughed, and so that's what you were saying. Like you said, you know, love not hate. You want your ice cream to bring people together, and that's part of your brand, and that's part of your mantra that you really believe it, and you are really selling. Correct. Right,
7: and I, you know, it, it's 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 crazy because. You know, what is what is your purpose? You know, like if you open that top, it clearly says there's a dream in every scoop. And I really believe that because even though it it, it was hard, you know, I felt like I wanted to give up, you know, sometimes and, and I didn't. You know, I, I persevered. It's almost I always tell the story. Um, we all have driven in a car, driving on fumes, hoping to goodness that we can get to the exit to get right. some gas before we run out. And that's what hope is. Hope for me, it fueled me, even when I went through so many failures and successes of launching my brands and my restaurants. You know, I was like, please just let me get to the exit and fill up, you know, on hope and so that I can get right back on the on the road. So for me, it wasn't about the destination because I know exactly what that destination is and where I'm going. It's more about the journey. Who am I meeting along the way? You know, I may stop off at this town. I may, you know, meet this person and and maybe this person may even get in the car with me and and ride with me to a town here and there, you know, a few miles and then they got to get out the car and then I realize, you know, what I'm dealing with. But even in those lessons, you know, you know what dead ends are, you know, what street to turn down, you know, what's going to work and what's not. And then you're, you're, you're learning and I'm praying to, you know, launch my foundation because that's essentially why I launched Creamelicious, because there is a dream in every scoop. And there are many entrepreneurs out there that they're afraid. They're afraid to fail. That's true. And I just want to say today, don't be afraid to fail. You have absolutely nothing to lose. You may make it the, the, it, the more you try and the more you go for it, you're eventually going to make it. And I just want you guys to know that I'm here. I'm looking for you. Like, Professor Xavier on X-Men, like I'm looking for those entrepreneurs that I can help build teams around them, give them resources. It's not like somebody can come and give you five million dollars, but that's not going to guarantee your success or that you're going to stay in business. Right. Multi-million dollar brands have money injected into them all the time. What we need as minority businesses is we need CPAs. We need advisors. We need attorneys. We need people that's going to help us with our operations We need to learn how to build teams. We need to learn and have resources that's going to sustain our business. And through buying a pint, if you're buying a pint, what I'm praying to build is you are inadvertently helping another entrepreneur with their dream. That's why I say there's a dream in every scoop. So I just want people to understand that they can be a part of something great through this pint, because that's what it's all about for me.
2: Wow. You are incredible. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I've interviewed over 600 people. The gems you are dropping. Dr. George Frazier is the closest I've had on this show that come, that has come to you as far as being able to recognize the, the battles of being an entrepreneur and how to advise and also how to inspire. You are incredible. Now, Liz, you have, before we leave, the malicious brand is expanding. You said you have some vegan products that are coming out. Are there other line brands that we need to know about before we wrap up the interview?
7: So Free Malicious does have a vegan line coming out this summer and an an additional seven flavors, um, like the apple cobbler, the peace and quiet cake. We have a strawberry crunch cake. Uh, We have a uh, Mama Woe's chocolate brownie. We have Baby Listen. And that baby listen is a white (laughs) chocolate brownie. So I don't know if you've ever had the Applebee's white chocolate brownie Mm -hmm. um, with the maple crema. I mean, we have some really amazing flavors. And then for the vegan line, um, I pretty much developed a southern mimosa and sangria line. So it's dairy-free um, and it's completely made with fresh juices and uh, fruit. Mm-hmm. So we'll have uh, people that are a little bit more health conscious and vegan. And if you're lactose intolerant, I just wanted to create a line for you as well. Um, and so we have some really amazing things and malicious does have a complete frozen dessert line. So each one of those pints that you have, they have a cake, a cobbler, a pie to go with those pints. Every, every dessert is a match for the pint. Wow. Thank you. You are incredible. Now, you know
2: when that line comes out, you got it. your boy. Okay, now. I got you. You Mm -hmm. got got me, right? You got me, right? I got you. Come on now, because I got this already. I got this already. It's coming this week. I'm going to take some photos, put it on social media. More important, congratulations. I'm a fan. I'll be there whenever you need this phone call of support. We're going to sit down and talk about some marketing ideas, because you really, really are special. And the world needs to hear your story.
7: Okay, Liz. Thank you, sir. And I appreciate you and your team's support. Um, I just really want to, you know, just ask that, you know, everyone get behind this because, you know, it's I can't change the world by myself nor would I ever try, but I can reach out and touch someone. I can make ripples in the pond. I can touch someone and their reach can touch Mm -hmm. someone. And then before you know it, we're across the globe. You know, it's just about having purpose in life. And this is God's purpose for me Mm -hmm. and my passion. I just want to get out here and help other entrepreneurs and inspire them to not just exist, but start living. Great,
2: you're doing that. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. Liz Rogers, the queen of ice cream, uh, Miss Creamalicious, Thank you. If you want to hear or see any interviews of Money Making Conversations, please go to moneymakingconversation.com or subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.
0: Please remember, always
6: lead with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams.
4: In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws.
5: Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest.
1: Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.